What's up, everybody? Real quick before we get started with the podcast, um, if you have not yet, go check out my website at coachcoreyk.com slash day in the life. I created a video of what it looks like um, day in the life of a route and retail tech. So especially if you're new, if you're looking to get into the industry, if you're curious what it looks like, go download that video. It's 30 minutes long. It'll give you a real good idea of exactly what we do in this industry and what it takes to succeed in it. Enjoy the podcast. What is the biggest problem affecting your PDR business? What is the one thing holding you back from taking the next step? What do you need to change to get the business growth you want? All these questions have the same answer. It's your mindset. My name is Corey Kleinfeld, and this is the PDR Coach Podcast, where I coach you on mindset around yourself and your PDR business. Now let's get started. Welcome back to the PDR Coach Podcast. Today, we have a very special guest actually outside of the PDR industry. Um, his name is Tim Hodgkiss. I met Tim through a group I'm involved in called Arte Syndicate. Tim is an intellectual property attorney. Not only that, but Tim is an electrical engineer and understands mechanical engineering technologies as well. Tim is not your average lawyer, to put, to put it fair. He is half comedian, half lawyer, and is a true problem solver in the intellectual property space. I'm going to do my best to ask questions about patents, trademarks, and copyrights and see if I can give you guys good info. But if you need any specific help, and Tim has helped me personally as well, then reach out to Tim on Instagram at Tim underscore Hodgkiss, H-O-D-G-K-I-S-S, or email him at T Hodgkiss at bdblaw.com. I'll put that in the show notes, et cetera. Welcome to the show, Tim. What's going on, man? Thank you, Corey. That was an incredible introduction. I'm very, very happy to be here. And yeah, this this area of the law is so applicable to entrepreneurs, individuals in your space. And you know anybody that can listen to this podcast is going to have such a huge leg up on their competition moving forward. So I'm excited. Um, 100% man. We're, so yeah, I'll, I'm gonna get, I'll get you started. So yeah, I guess let's say, Hey, we met through Arate. And the one thing, the reason why you stood out to me is that, you know, I've, I've opened and run a couple of separate businesses. And personally, I'm always, I, I never want to call lawyers to be honest. Cause the last couple of times I've called lawyers, it's like, yeah, what's your information. And then like, you know, two weeks later, I get a bill for 0.7 hours of their time for 200 bucks. I was like, that eh, was a little leery, but I, I messaged yeah. you through Arate um, obviously you follow the same, um, have the same, um, core values, I guess, or the same, right. The same ethos that, yeah, yeah. The, yeah the, right. And so I reached out and then we talked for like 30 minutes and I never got a bill. Not yet. At least, um, I don't think I'm going to get a bill for this podcast. <laughs> I promise <laughs> you, I promise you one is not just waiting out there. I know the mail has been delayed. Like we've been struggling bit, yeah. with that. I promise you one never went out, but anyway, so that stood out to me. Um, obviously like I'm a big pr- proponent of value first and you are too. Um, then we met on Clubhouse. I've been pushing Clubhouse to anybody in the PDR community. You spent an hour with another attorney on there. And I actually brought in a few different dent guys and everybody had questions. So I was like, okay, this is obviously something that we need in this industry. People are curious about how this works. I mean, PDR is just a, such a, has always been like a, a smaller, more fly-by-night industry. And now more and more and more, we're getting more serious. And as we do, this stuff is going to come into play more and more. And the people that can patent copyright trademark their stuff first or do it properly will have an advantage over the next, you know, three, five, 10 years. So mm-hmm. um, absolutely. just real quick, because uh, several people, I'm actually wearing the RTA hat today, as you can see, several people asked me about that. 
why'd you join Arte? And we met there. Just do a little, little talk on that. We'll get into all the legal stuff. Well, it, it goes back to about two years ago. I had no idea this space of motivational and inspirational uh, you know, speakers or content or this, this area existed. But I, I went to the 10X GrowthCon 2 out in Las Vegas. It yeah, was Grant Grant Cardone's Cardone. event. Yeah. And uh, I saw you know, Andy and Ed out there just mm -hmm. blown away. Like, oh my gosh, like leaving that event, I'm like, I'm not doing enough. I am not doing enough in my life. I'm not doing enough in my business. So for me, it was a real awakening and it led to a lot of shifts in, in the way I was living. It led me actually changing jobs. And, you mm -hmm. know, I've, I'm now at the firm that I'm at uh, because of that. It, it led to just a real shift in the way my energy presents and the way I show up. And this ties into, you know, I, I don't show up as a typical attorney. I don't connect with people as that typical stodgy, old school, mm -hmm. um, curmudgeonly attorney. Um, I, I'm much more energetic. I'm much more passionate. And I want to see people succeed because I know what it takes. I know what it took for me to get out of my old way of living, um, to get out of my own way and be open and connect and interface with the world in an authentic way, which I am now. So it came all the way back through um, that event with um, Andy and Ed and then staying connected into that energy. And then when I got that email about the Arate syndicate and you have to actually submit, you have to apply. Yeah. I'm like, wow, okay, this isn't something that everybody can just get into. Mm -hmm. And so I really thought that that was an incredible opportunity to be a part of the people that have that same core value. They share those same, same thoughts that I had. Let's get out, get out of our own way and you know, ascend to greater heights. So I did, I applied and immediately, you know, just met so many motivated, like everybody in the group is, is so motivated, so driven, so supportive, um, so helping. And it's, it's just, it's helped me grow, not just professionally, but, you know, even more so in the personal realm um, and, and wanting to give back. And you're exactly right. You know, it's, it's about leading with value because what you give you're going to get that back like multifold. I mean, it's just immeasurable what you're going to get back from it. So I don't hesitate, you know, anybody that asks me a question, I will, you know, if it's in my capacity, I will try to, to help them regardless of, you know, they're a paying customer or not. So mm -hmm. that's what I lead with. And it was incredible to connect with you. And I didn't even know that this, this industry yeah. uh, was so large, you know, I, obviously I knew that there are, um, you know, body shops and things like that out there for cars, but I didn't know the scope of it. And, and certainly just kind of drilling down to the business side of things. You know, the reason I got into this law is because it's dealing with creative concepts. It's dealing with, you know, artists, it's dealing with people that are dreaming, they're, they're creating and whether it's an invention you know, so we'll just get back to the fundamentals yeah. um, of intellectual property. We're talking about patents, trademarks, copyrights, and trade right. secrets. Those are the four foundational areas that make up intellectual property. Now, central to any new business and the, the dent removal professional area yeah. in particular are, are trademarks. Trademarks are source identifiers. And I look at your hat right now and I see the, the mm -hmm. Arate symbol, that, that A, that's very distinctive. Yep. You know, we know when we see that, 
we know what what stands behind that. Yep. We know there's some core values. We know there are two very uh, highly intelligent, <laughs> highly capable and successful individuals. And anywhere we see that, A, we kind of carry that, th- those values, that, that emotional connection to those other things. So when I see, you know, that there's a hat offered for sale with that, A, well, I know it's going to be a high quality hat. It's, you know, if there's any problem with it, I'm sure the customer service is going to stand behind it. So all these things get carried into different product lines, um, apart from just, you know, having a, a, a group and having, you know, a motivated motivational speakers speaking, right. Th- that carries that goodwill across several different product lines. So in terms of dent professionals, having a brand that anchors in all of the goodwill that you've developed through promoting, through mm-hmm. advertising, through rendering your services out there in the public for a period of time and right. getting that good reputation. If it's just anchored in something that's very generic or descriptive, like I'm a dent removal professional. Mm-hmm. Um, well, there's a number of people, if I went onto Google and typed a particular geographic region, like here in Akron, if I type in dent removal professional Akron, Ohio, I'm going to get a list yeah. of people. I, I don't know one from the other. They're fungible, meaning they're just easily replaceable. Mm-hmm. They, you know, one's not better than the other. They just don't stand out. They all do the same thing. So why do I care? I'm just going to close my eyes and pick one. Okay. So that's what you don't want to have happen. You want to anchor in all of the things that you've been doing in, in promoting, telling people why your services are are different, why they are, uh, why they stand out and you want to get away from the crowd. You yeah. A hundred percent. So that was a lot there and I appreciate that. Um, yep. That's good stuff. So as far as like, so you said trademarking, you went to name and symbol. So, I mean, how important are both of those things? I mean, are they, are, I guess one legally, are they separate trademarks that you can lay like my, sure. my company name's Dent Pro. It's actually trademarked. And then our symbol, I don't think our symbol is really trademarked, but just out of curiosity, if you could touch on those two things, how important a name is and how important a symbol is as far as identifying your, your business to that name. What are your thoughts? Sure, sure. You know, a trademark can be any word, name, phrase, symbol, or design. Okay. Any, any one of those, mm-hmm. or it could be a, a collection of those. And what you described is, you know, a word mark, you know, Dent Pro, yeah. and then the, the design with it can also function as a trademark. Really, anything that you use to promote or advertise your services out there in the public yeah. is is functioning as a trademark. So, okay, so let's say, just out of curiosity, because this, this question, I know people are, I know I'm thinking like a Dent guy, and they're sitting here thinking like, okay, I use all kinds of stuff to promote my business. It's my logo, it's the pictures of Dent tools, pictures of cars, things like that, like where do you start? How far and how, I mean, how far do you go with like capturing those things you promote with to be your own and no one else's, if that makes sense. Right. You know what it usually starts out as a word, a phrase, even your name. Sure. You know, you could use your name as a trademark. It's how you want to be positioned out there in the, in the public, in the Mm -hmm. public's eye. How are you positioning yourself? So, you know, that goes all the way back to the branding stages. How are we, are we upscale? Are we downscale? Where, where are our price points going to be? What market are we going to go after can dictate the, the words, the terminology, the signaling. This mm-hmm. is all communication 
between you, the customer, or between you, the business owner and the customer. So, you know, if, if you're starting from scratch, it, it's nice to have those conversations, but a lot of times these things come about organically and you latch on to a name because it's cool. Yeah. It makes you feel good. It resonates with you and you hope it resonates with your consumers. Um, but, you know, you build up some goodwill in, in a name or, and or a design. And those things are what people look for. Like we are just accustomed to look for the trademarks. If we lived yeah. in a world that didn't have any trademarks, we would have to go in and test the food at each, each brick and mortar building that they all look the same, mm -hmm. you know, for visiting a new city. Mm -hmm. Well, there's no golden arches anywhere. Yeah, there's yeah. no, yeah. there's no pizza hut logo. Like, I don't know what this, the food's about. I have to test it and uh, to try it to find out what it is. Sure. But the minute there's a, a trademark out there, we have been conditioned through all of the advertising and promotion and just in trying it. Okay. That's McDonald's. Okay. That's pizza. We know what we're going to get. So that goes back to tying in that goodwill to, to those symbols, to those words. Yeah. And so that's, that's where you want to start. And I think, you know, you mentioned about, you know, photographs and yeah, um, other things, pictures of cars, I guess, pictures I mean, of cars. Yeah. That's not, that's not really functioning so much as a, as a trademark because you're not using it consistently over and over and over. Yeah. Okay. Tra you know, right. trademarks are about consistency mm -hmm. and long-term use developing that connection between the marks and the services that you provide out there in the, the consuming right. public. Okay. So, I mean, I talked to a lot of people all over the country and I have for, for several years now, I, I would be surprised if there was 1% of dent guys that had their name trademarked. Um, and we'll, we'll, and I'll, I'll, I'll ask a specific question after this, but um, dent pro dent magic dent express dent works dent, whatever, right. There's, you know, they're all over the country. They're in every state. I'm sure somebody has the name. Somebody has the the URL Dent Pro in Sacramento and Dent Pro in another city and a Dent Works mm -hmm. and a, all that stuff, right? So mm -hmm. how how important really is it to trademark your name? I guess in both perspectives, like if you're just going to stay in your own city, really, and you don't ever plan on expanding nationally or even like more regionally, like I'm in Sacramento, you know, we plan on expanding, but not really outside of California or even to SoCal. So like, I, when do you get a trademark? And, and, and if you're not really expanding, planning on growing a large company that like people will recognize golden arches in every city, is it necessary or should we do it anyways? If we don't do it, can somebody come take our name at some point that we've worked to build in Sacramento? I don't know. So that was right. like a lot of questions, but like, um, well, do we need to? Well, to, to unpackage that, <laughs> yeah. the minute you you operate out there in the public under a, a name or a symbol, yeah. you start to accrue trademark rights. Yeah. They're called common law trademark rights, okay. and they're state based. Um, state based, these state based <laughs> common law rights are are difficult to enforce because it, they don't carry any presumptions. They don't carry a presumption of ownership, validity, or exclusive mm -hmm. right to use. Um, now, when you get beyond just common law rights, you start talking about federal, federally encompassing rights mm -hmm. um, through a trademark registration. And that gives you a nationwide presumption of ownership, validity, and exclusive right to use. Mm -hmm. Now, if you are just going to be that mom and pop shop um, in a small geographic region, it, it, it probably 
one of the things that can happen is that you, your services need to be rendered in interstate commerce for it to be federally registrable. Sure. So if you're just advertising and all of your um, promotions are staying just in a very confined space, or if you're not doing any promotion at all, you know, yeah. you're not, you're just word of mouth. Um, you're probably not going to be successful in securing a federal registration. Um, okay. But if you're doing, you know, advertising out of your state, you're attracting customers, maybe from other states, or when they move to your state, they, they're aware of you now, okay, you know, a federal registration is viable, and it makes sense. Um, because those state based rights, state based rights are difficult to assert because they don't carry the presumptions, like I mentioned, sure, sure. that a federal registration mm -hmm. does. So the minute you get that piece of paper with that federal registration number, um, it you are presumed owner, uh, the mark is presumed valid, and you are presumed to have the right to use it nationwide. Okay, so so I'm in Sacramento. It's hours for me to get to another state, either direction, Texas, mm -hmm. similar, everything on the West Coast. What about mm -hmm. people on the East Coast that actually operate in three different states because it's an hour, <laughs> 45 minutes each direction? Is right. this something that they should probably more so look yeah. towards than, than maybe someone like me? Yeah, absolutely. Oh, okay. um, you know, they're doing business across state lines. Yeah. You have people coming, uh, you know, across state lines mm -hmm. to, to, to receive these dent removal services. So definitely uh, that makes sense. And it also makes sense if, you know, you might not necessarily plan on expanding, but it, it might just happen organically. Yeah. Um, so if, if somebody, if you start using it in, say, California, and somebody starts using the mark in, say, Colorado, mm -hmm. um, you know, whoever's first to register or apply for registration is going to fix the, the rights in place, you know. So uh, you, you, you always have the right to use that mark in that geographic region. But if somebody files for a registration, application for registration, then that locks that, that other party's geographical uh, space of using that mark in place. And then that other, the filer gets nationwide um, rights to use that mark. Hmm. Um, so it kind of carves out, you know, a smaller little niche for, for both users, but that, that first person to file. Now there, there's some caveats to that. You know, if the person that didn't register was actually the first person to use the mark, he could challenge the registrability through an opposition or a cancellation because he was the senior user, but that's very expensive. You know, you, okay. you're in five figures and it's, oh, wow. it's a costly yeah. endeavor. So uh, those with the deeper pockets tend to win these disputes. I mm mean, -hmm. um, it, it just might not be even worth it. So it's, it's always best to file first if you can. Uh, but yeah, if you're just a small, very regional uh, mom and pop, then it, it probably doesn't make sense to pursue. Okay. So for, you know, most of the guys listening were, you know, decent income individuals and run, you know, those of us running success, successful businesses have, have some income. I mean, how, how much just for like, okay, maybe I'll expand someday, 10 years. I don't know, whatever. How, mm -hmm. how much are we talking to just get a trademark? Like, you know what? I'm just going to trademark my name. No one else has done it yet. I'm just going to do it just because I don't want to go into that situation where someone else right. does it and takes all right. of my work. Right. Well, so, so there, there are a couple of things to think about. Yeah. You can reserve a mark, but marks are all based in use. You don't develop trademark rights yeah. until you actually use the mark. So while you can reserve a mark through the intent to use application, trademark application, yeah. you'll have to use that mark within roughly three years 
of no, but I mean, someone's currently board. using, someone's been in business for 10, 15 years. Mm-hmm. And then, like I said, they call themselves Dent, whatever. Express. If they've already used the mark and, yeah. and they want to pursue a federal registration, the cost. But you me, can't unless you, unless you are in multiple states. It's not going to, pretty much not going to happen. Well, if you're advertising, if, you, if you're doing nationwide advertising of okay. your services, then. then but you if can. you're just doing locally, you yeah. can't even get a trademark. Right. A federal, okay. yeah, a federal, a federal registration. If you're not doing any sort of promotion, everything's just intrastate. Yeah. Uh, you don't even have a website. Yeah. Something like that. Yeah. A federal what, registration. What if you is do be have fair. a website, you operate in a bunch of cities, but only in the same state, but you're like, someday I want to expand out of state, but I don't do anything out of state right now, but I want to protect myself from someone else registering my name and then coming and taking it. Right. And the only way for me to stop that is a five figure legal battle. Does that make sense? Like, can I just absolutely, absolutely. have the thing? Uh, right. For a thousand right. Well, bucks? You, you, I don't know. Right. No, absolutely. It, it makes sense. You yeah. know, you're rendering services in commerce, you're yeah. promoting them across state lines. Um, you want to prevent somebody else from filing yeah. an application to register a mark that's the same as yours or confusingly yeah. similar to yours. Mm-hmm. And that could end up causing that person to receive a cease and desist letter from this now registrant. So for the cost of, for me to do a search would be $350 to do a trademark search. And if we move on to the actual application, that's anywhere between $850 and $950. If everything goes smoothly, um, sometimes we run into snags at the trademark office with um, issues of, you know, we have to disclaim a generic portion of the mark or a descriptive mm-hmm. portion of the mark. We're not allowed to claim exclusive rights to um, a generic part of the mark because everybody should be allowed to use those words to describe like dent. their services, like dent or something. Yeah. yeah. Or dent would be a perfect example. Yeah. Um, the disclaimer of that word is required because other people need to use the word dent to describe yeah. what they do. You know, if, if you just trade dent assist- and then <laughs> yeah. no one else you know, can use it. Nobody else could use dent. Yeah. There'd be a lot of, uh, a lot of problem for you guys. Yeah. Um, so things like that we can run into. Um, we could run into a refusal based on a likelihood of confusion. There might be a mark that, you know, while, I, you know, we, and we try sorry, to, I want to stop you. When you're saying Mark, are you talking about symbol or name? Both. Yeah. So trademark or mark, it can refer to a word, name, symbol, phrase. It's yeah, it's just a shorthand lingo for anything that functions as a trademark. Um, But yeah, an examiner who takes up the application, the trademark office could cite a previously pending filed and pending mark or a currently registered mark against you, even though we did a search. Um, the search isn't infallible, you know, it, it's, it's a database and, and sometimes the database doesn't always, doesn't always live up to the expectations that it should. Um, so there might be a hiccup in the search examiner finds a conflicting mark and we have to come up with a, a strategy to either respond, you know, we can argue things such as mm-hmm. the marks look different. The marks sound different. They mean they have a different meaning. Yeah. Um, the connotation and the commercial impressions are different. Mm-hmm. Um, the goods differ, the services differ enough. So we make these arguments to, to try and uh, convince the examiner that the marks aren't confusingly similar. So like if I, if we tried to trademark Dent Pro, it's not, which is already done mm-hmm. to the person who owns it, but there was if like I a tried to dentist dent professional that had yeah. something we could argue that it's different people in different industries. So you could keep maybe like that, that kind of thing you're saying. Uh, right. Dempro yeah. for dental services. Yeah. 
I'm yeah, sure that, I'm prob- sure that exists. Pro- probably. Yeah. Probably. That would yeah. be a good argument. You know, yeah. we're in different different service areas. Interesting. They're different okay. enough. The public isn't going to get confused. Yeah. They're not, not going to confuse dent removal for dental dentistry. Yeah. <laughs> dentistry so, services. And they do all the time though. <laughs> People we get calls all the time. Like, oh, do you guys do dental? No, no. You can, I mean, I got a drill if you want to come on by, but um, sounds like a lot of pain. <laughs> <laughs> How, I mean, gosh, this is a tough, I mean, I have this question, but it's like probably not even fair to ask, but um, like how, how close can they be? And I'll, I'll specifically ask. So if, if we had somebody that was saying that had dent pro and they just added a name to the back of it, or if it was um, dent, uh, if it was dent magic, something like a city name or like a more specific thing, like how, can those both coexist or is it really who has the so, most money? Well, I, I'll give you a few general rules. Yeah. Okay. The, the, the first part in a word mark, the first part in a word mark is generally given the most weight. So if, if the two marks share the same first word or first couple, yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's starting to look, you know, not so good. Yeah. Um, any sort of uh, doubt is resolved in favor of the registrant. So the person that has the mark already registered, they're yeah. given the benefit of the doubt in, in these sort of analyses. Um, and yeah, the more, the, the more that you have descriptive words, the descriptive words aren't given as much weight as the more distinct words. So when you compare the words in the mark to the actual goods or services, we, we, we um, determine are they describing the goods or services or are they distinct? Meaning there's no, there's no attachment. They don't uh, disclose any characteristic or like you mentioned before, like McDonald's is like someone's name, I guess, but it's not like it says something about hamburger. Exactly. It's like a, it's just a, you, I think you, the word you used on clubhouse, like fanciful. Is that the word you use or did I make that up? No, no, it's, okay. that's great. Yeah. So arbitrary and fanciful marks okay. are the strongest marks because they bear right. no relationship to the actual goods or services. Mm-hmm. Um, one of the strongest brands in the world is Apple Computer. So <laughs> Apple is the mark and computers are the goods. Nothing There's no, with. it's complete. The, Apple is a real word, but it's completely arbitrary. It's just Interesting. randomly selected, has no relationship to the goods. So that's why it's a strong mark. Then when we move down to... Um, Fanciful marks, fanciful mark is just a completely coined name or phrase. It's just a made up word like Kodak. Kodak is made up phrase or name Yeah. Okay. for, for cameras. So yeah. that's a fanciful mark. Uh, then we have suggestive marks like, um, like frosty freeze for uh, like uh, ice cream. Dairy queen or whatever. Yeah, yeah, something like Dairy Queen would be a suggestive. I mean, you one said Frosty Freeze, I think. Or no, that's you're saying that's yeah. Yeah, yeah, Frosty Freeze and even yeah. Dairy Queen. Yeah. Those are suggestive marks because they suggest hmm. a certain quality uh, or characteristic of the hmm. product. You know, ice cream, dairy. So um, that's frosty. interesting. Now that I'm thinking, it's like everybody in this space uses some form of dent or or something in their name. Right. Um, almost everybody, but you're saying there actually is a. I would say if I, as far as branding and, and legality, I think for branding and for like SEO marketing and things like that, we always tend, tend to stick to things that say dent in it or some car related something at least. But you're saying there's actually a little bit of a benefit to just coming up with a fanciful or arbitrary name. Um, yes, because the next category down is merely descriptive marks, marks yeah. that merely describe the products or services. So 
you know, dent professional while it can start to accrue. Yeah. And I don't know how long your particular mark has been registered for. It's like 30 years or something. Okay. So it, yeah. this mark has been around. It yeah. has accrued what they called secondary meaning or acquired distinctiveness oh, through okay. its long-term use out there in the industry. Hmm. Now, if you were to just start from anew today and start using dent pro, well, it's got the word dent. Pro is short for professional. Yeah. Dent professional for dent removal services. Very, very descriptive. Very yeah. descriptive. Now, if you applied to register that mark, you're likely to get a merely descriptiveness refusal. You wouldn't be allowed to register that on what they call the principal register. Today. The principal register. I'm sorry. But probably if we tried that today, but because they did it so long ago, it worked. Right, okay. right. If you if you just did it today, you'd never use the mark. You're looking yeah. just to reserve it. You yeah. would get a, a rejection. Mm-hmm. Now, hmm. after five years of use, it's presumed that you've acquired secondary meaning, meaning that the consuming public has encountered this mark so frequently over time that they've come to associate you, Corey, as the provider of the services offered under Dent Pro. Um, So they recognize Dent Pro as actually functioning as a trademark because descriptive marks aren't presumed to function as marks. (laughs) Okay. They're not. You actually, and th- this comes back to um, the strength of the mark. Um, so it, when you're on that, we haven't even talked about the principal and the supplemental register. Yeah, you, you do that next. <laughs> the the principal register is reserved for the marks we've we've discussed: the arbitrary, fanciful, and suggestive marks. Right. Yeah. Because they are inherently distinctive, meaning they can function to distinguish the goods and services from others' goods and services. Yeah. Okay. Descriptive marks just by their nature, they describe products. So, you know, I'm a dent professional. You're a dent professional. We're all in the same industry. Does that really function as a trademark if it can't identify source? It can't. It can't. But through long-term use and promotion and advertising, and sometimes you have to prove this to the trademark office with Mm -hmm. evidence, evidence of expenditures of, you know, advertising costs and and what have you, surveys out there in the public to see if people understand like, oh yeah, that's a brand. You know, that's not just describing a class of, of goods or services. Yeah. So through time, you can make a, a descriptive mark um, strong enough to be moved onto the, the principal register. And in your case, you know, 30 years, you've already worked through that whole process. Yeah. And we, but, we use that name from somebody. So I don't I don't have it's not our personal trademark, but we're a part of a larger brand it's a person right so no one gets confused that's listening to the podcast and you're probably a licensee yes license to to use that that mark Mm -hmm. so but again descriptive marks are weak simply because they don't automatically function as source identifiers they just describe the good it's like you know brown paper cup (laughs) okay you know (laughs) yeah sure but so when you have everybody calling themselves dent you know, maybe it's not dent pro, maybe it's, you know, dent professional, like I was saying, yeah. or um, dent provider or there's tons. Yeah. Yeah. All of that, you start to get lumped in and it's hard to enforce your rights because other, the, the people that you assert your rights against say, well, I'm just using it in a descriptive manner. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I have that fair use. Your mark's descriptive. It's not strong. Um, you haven't yeah. built up any rights in it, you know, yeah. you I'll haven't used that. it long enough. Okay, so if your name is trademarked, which there are a few people out here that are using trademark names, 
and you wanted somebody to stop using your name, mm-hmm. what do you do? Well, you, you first, obviously, you identify the party who's in using a mark that's confusingly similar to yours. Yeah. And you, your first step would be to send them a cease and desist letter, hmm. you know, and, and you send them, them a cease and desist letter. Yeah. Or, or hire Tim and you do it. Are you okay? Yeah, you I'd be hire. happy to do that. I, yeah. I do it all the time. Um, <laughs> But it's, it's, um, you want to identify what it is that they do and, you know, having that registration number, your federal registration number in that letter carries so much weight with it because of the yeah. presumptions I mentioned before, sure, sure. the presumption of ownership, validity, and exclusive right to use. Uh, whereas if you're just relying on your common law rights, well, you have to prove those when you walk into court. So they're not taken as seriously. Yeah. And so, yeah, that letter with that registration number in there usually carries the day. Um, and at le- or at least gets a conversation going. Um, so, yeah, that's that's the first step. You know, gotcha. if they keep going, then, you know, it, it escalates. And obviously it gets it, it can get costly if you get into litigation. But, yeah. uh, <laughs> you know, if it's somebody that most of the time send a letter and then they're like, oh, shit. And then they stop. Yeah. 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 And I I know I I just recently did this right before Christmas. Um, I represent a large client and they had uh, somebody on Facebook had built a website entirely um, trading on their name. They had counterfeit products that, you know, this mom and pop shop was making Mm -hmm. bearing the, you know, my client's registered trademark. And we sent them a letter outlining the marks that we had registered and the, the all the goods we had screen captures of their website and mm-hmm, their mm-hmm. Um, Facebook page and everything. Mm-hmm. And within two weeks, it was all taken down. It was completely rebranded. They stopped selling all those counterfeit products and, you know, clients happy. And that's the way it should be. You know, we, we, we can't allow other people to trade on the, the goodwill that, yeah. you know, like your business Mm-hmm. and dent yeah. pro has developed you don't yeah. want somebody else setting up a, i'm going to call myself dent pro and you know kind of trade on all the yeah. advertising and promotion and reputation that Corey's sure. developed and and sell sell my services so yeah, especially in this business because it's such a skilled trade that they can you know we have people that do that actually that will set up and not that you can do anything about it at this point but people set up in parking lots call themselves Dempro, take advantage of people, right? Oh, let me pop that den out for you, right? Uh, and so we do have those those scenarios, but if someone was trying to do it in a legitimate form, right, with a website and everything, then we could definitely try to make that stop for sure. Right, and it's, yeah. you know, it's one thing if they are putting out quality products, but yeah. oftentimes it's, no. it's substandard <laughs> quality, it's stuff that's eroding your reputation, mm-hmm. and, it, it, you know, it's, 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 it's that sort of thing. Yeah. It's just then tarnishing all the, yeah. the good things that you've done. For sure. So we have a lot of guys in this, and gals, but a lot of people in this industry that um, were, were and are dent technicians first and then have created tools. So for those people that are listening in here, and we, we were talking to one the other day um, on Clubhouse. Yes. Um, should you patent your tool? When? Um, just talk us through that. I mean, I don't even know what questions sure. to ask, but if you're creating a tool that is unique, that has not been created before, mm-hmm. sh- should you protect it? I mean, is- well, you, you know your stuff. Unique was the key word. Okay. Um, it, it's gotta be unique. It ha- has to be new. Yeah. can't have ever been done before out there in the world and doing it the thing to be mindful of for patents and they protect inventions virtually anything under the sun made by man in the dent removal space and i've seen some of these tools yeah. um, you can protect them through a patent 
And the thing to take away from, from this podcast is if you don't take away anything else, if you allow yourself or somebody else to publicly use the tools, uh, you can start a one-year bar running, meaning you have one year from that first public use or public disclosure of the idea or actually a prototype that you're, you're using. Mm-hmm. Um, you have one year to then get a patent application on file or else you're barred from, from patenting and ever, ever doing it. Right. You know, and the thing is it it might not show up like the patent office isn't going to find it, but what's going to happen is if you ever go to enforce that patent, guess what the opposing side's going to do. They are going to dig in three years ago. (laughs) Yeah. They're going to dig in and and find out, Oh yeah, this thing's been in use for three years before you filed the patent application. So, so so all the guys that, you know, cause the common thing to do in this industry at this point from what I've seen is like, Oh, I have this great tool. I'm going to go to a guy I know a machinist or, or something, build mm-hmm. it, send it to seven guys that I know to have them try it and give me feedback. The day you send that tool to them starts the one year mark of, uh, if you don't have a non-disclosure agreement in place with those people, if you aren't exercising tight control over how you're allowing people. Now there is an experimental use um, exception yeah. to all of this. But I don't think anyone's doing that. In this right. Case. But you need, you should be taking notes. I mean, documenting, okay, okay. I gave it to this person mm-hmm. for testing purposes. I had them sign an NDA when I went to that machinist. Mm-hmm. You want to take this very seriously. You mm-hmm. want to have it protected under a cloud of secrecy. If you're just willy nilly giving it yeah. to Joe down the road to test out. Yeah. You, you, you're starting that bar. And, it's and then if somebody problem. copies it exactly and then sells it and then makes it in China and sells it for $50 less. There's nothing you can do about that. Well, if they are right, if you haven't patented. If you haven't right? patented, yeah. Because, yeah. you know, the, the typical thing to do in this industry, is I, I don't believe, I mean, I know a couple that have patents, mm-hmm. but typically it's like send it to your buddies. Um, they're like, oh, change this, tweak this. This is a really good tool though. And then everyone talks about it and you can sell it. And then a year or two later, somebody else creates it, whether it's from China specifically or Russia, somebody else creates it out of typically less, less, you know, inferior poor products, poor quality mm-hmm. and sells it for half the price, but there's nothing. Right. If you don't have that patent, it doesn't give you the right yeah. to prevent others from making, yeah. using, selling and importing into the U S that's what you get with a patent. Yeah. It's but let's a, say you a, did have a patent and someone yeah. took it and copied it. Like, honestly, how could you stop it? How much would it cost it to try to stop it? I mean, the t- people making tools, this industry, you're not, it's not multi-million dollar, you know, right. inventions right. that you're getting, you know, it's, I mean, you make some money, but I don't, I've never heard anybody getting rich off of a single tool. So like, is it even worth going down the patent road or should you just sell, sell as many as you can, as fast as you can. And then when there's copiers, then. Right. Well, there's a couple things. One, yeah. if you have a trademark and you're branding the the tools with a trademark, yeah, you you can use your federal registration as a mechanism to allow the the border patrol agents at the ports to monitor okay. for counterfeit products coming in from China or Russia. You know, so if you have a flood of of you know these counterfeits coming in, you can use trademarks and that specifically that trademark registration. It has to be the hmm. federal registration to to stop that so um, someone could technically go on alibaba or ebay and order it in theory it would not make it to them because it would get stopped that the order right right you can actually put together a a pamphlet with mm-hmm. co- you know photographs of the goods Interesting. Uh, that that you make yeah. and send that to the the, the border patrol agents and they is will that add an expensive proposition database. or is that 
Uh, we're, you know, we're talking in the hundreds deal. of dollars, you know. Oh, okay. So, you know, yeah, around a thousand dollars max. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. A thousand bucks for a trademark, 1200 bucks for a trademark or so another thousand or 1200 bucks to do what you just yeah. said. So we're not, I mean, we're, yeah, we're not talking, you know, tens of thousands of dollars to, do, to protect it. Yeah. That's interesting. <laughs> I never knew that. I'm guessing, I'm guessing the people that make tools potentially know that, but if you didn't, if you didn't know that, hopefully that helped you. Um, yeah, they, they keep a database. Tough. They yeah. keep a database of all these trademark goods, and they they facilitate the seizure of them. Gotcha. Um, so that's one mechanism, you know, using your trademark registration to prevent the influx of counterfeit goods. Yeah. Um, patents. Um, it, it's interesting because a patent is much more expensive endeavor to protect a tool. Sure. You're going to be in five, six, seven thousand dollar range. Okay. Um, you know. It, Actually, it can be the, the more simplistic the tool is, the harder it is to describe in the patent application. That's why they tend to maybe cost a little bit more uh, because there's so many different varieties and variations of it that you want to capture and protect. So, you, yeah. you know, an infringer just can't make a tiny little change or tweak. And right. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so yeah. that's kind of the uh, the paradox to change the width this. and length of the thing. And all of a sudden it's things like that. Yeah. Hmm. So. You know, you go through the expense of getting the patent. Now, right, enforcement. Um, one of the things that, that you can do is um, first make sure that you have, uh, one, properly disclosed the invention broad enough so the claims in your patent actually capture or read on what we call, uh, read on the infringing good. So if you have a very narrow patent, that's what we call a picture patent. Mm -hmm. um, if it's so narrow, then it doesn't cast a broad enough net to actually, you know, stop right. an infringer totally. from importing importing the good. Um, okay, the other so thing I, is I, super fascinating stuff. Honestly, like I'm super curious about this. But if you want more information on this, just reach out to Tim. Honestly, because like we're talking generalities here, but I know people have specific questions. So if you want something specific in this area that he can really talk to your specific thing, just reach out to him. It's probably the best way at this point. Yeah, absolutely. Um, absolutely. We can keep going down these roads, talking generalities and things like that, um, which is, which is great. I just want people to get the big picture of what's going on here. So you mentioned intellectual property earlier. Um, I'm curious, I'm just thinking how this could actually apply to our industry. I mean, what, what kind of intellectual property can you protect and what is that? Well, I think first ideas? and foremost, your, your trademark, your brand. Okay. I mean, that's, that, that's, that's step one, okay. that's step one. And yeah. the natural organic outshoot from that would be a tool, you know, yeah. if through, through your work, you come up with a way of making the process, your workflow easier, yeah. more efficient, mm -hmm. and you develop a tool. I think that's, you know, a, a patent there. Yeah. Um, okay. Outside of that, you know, copyrights, those deal with more expressive works, you know, literary works, yeah, sure. uh, drawings, audiovisual works like movies and things like that. Um, trade you know, secrets? <laughs> trade secrets. You know, I was going to say, maybe if there's a course, maybe if you're teaching a course on dent removal, that yeah. could be, you know, copyrighted and, and you could seek a, a registration yeah. uh, for your, uh, on, for the copyright of your uh, training materials. Trade secrets. Um, yeah, trade secrets are interesting. If you have a particular technique or process that you employ in removing a, a dent, um, <laughs> that could be protected as a trade secret so long as you keep that information secret and you actively take steps 
to keep that information secret. Huh. So it, it would be hard if you're working amongst a team. Yeah, yeah. But maybe if you're working yourself yeah. and you've figured out and and you know, I don't know. I don't know exactly. How I mean, you if you why work. would you need to do something? Why would you need a trade secret if you just kept it secret? So trade secrets are like one of these other automatic things. It's like kind of like trademarks. The minute yeah. you start operating under a name, you start accruing trademark rights. Yeah. Well, a trade secret accrues without having to do anything. <laughs> you you just have it. But you have to take steps. You have to take steps yeah. proactively to keep it secret. If you're just doing things in a normal course of business and not giving that particular step or sequence of steps yeah. any sort of special treatment, then your your trade secret rights are going to be lost. Fascinating. I have no idea how that could apply to our industry, honestly. I'm racking my brain. Yeah. I'm like, man, there's... That's it's usually like formulations, like the yeah. Coke formula, the KFC, yeah, yeah. eleven yeah. herbs and spices. I, I'm thinking, yeah, we got a people that do touch up. I know have trade secrets, and they protect their their you know way that they yeah their formulations to how they fix the cars or touch up the cars or whatever. Uh huh. Um, interesting. I don't know how that would work because we're so I don't we don't really use products. Anyways, fascinating stuff, man. This hopefully that was great information for everybody. I'm just like sitting here reeling, trying to take in all the information you said, like super cool stuff. Yeah. Super cool stuff. Um, Obviously Tim, you know what you're talking about. You've been doing this for a long time. I know you can help our industry. I brought people on clubhouse. Everyone had questions with that. Um, If you guys have any questions for the few hundred of you that are listening, like I said earlier, best way to reach out. Um, I'll share that at the end actually, but before I wrap up, um, do you have anything else that you want to cover that is potentially could help our industry or, or I'll just say anybody out there that listens to this, that has a question, I'm always, you know, here to help. That's, that's my ethos. That's my core values. So, um, you know, a friend of Corey's is a friend of mine and, uh, yeah, whether or not that leads to a, you know, a formal, you know, attorney client relationship or not, I'm, I'm happy to help, you know, and, uh, yeah. So, Thank you for the opportunity, Corey. I think this is going to be great for everybody out there. Yeah, I I appreciate that. I'm glad that we've connected and um, I've asked you a couple questions already and we're, we're, you know, going down some paths that um, I know that I'll need to use you (laughs) down the road here. Um, So I'm excited about that. And uh, again, if you guys want to ask Tim any questions, he's at Instagram is one of the best ways to do it. Um, That's Tim, T-I-M underscore H-O-D-G-K-I-S-S, Hodgkiss. Um, yep. and if you, and I'm following him too on Instagram, if you can, if you go follow me, you can see him, um, and email him at T Hodgkiss at BDB, you say boy, dog, boy, law.com. All right, guys, I appreciate you listening. And, uh, Tim, I hope, hopefully a few people reach out and you can help some people in our industry. I'd be happy to look forward to it. Thank you, Corey. Thank you for listening to another episode of the PDR Coach Podcast. If you got any value from this podcast and want to do something for me, then the best way to do that is to subscribe to the podcast and give me a rating and review. If you want to know more about me, then you can find me on Instagram by searching for the PDR Coach or find me on my website at coachcoreyk.com, C-O-R-Y-K.com. Thank you for listening and I'll be back next week.